Glad to be here this morning in worship. It's an exciting day to, to sing praises to our Lord and see all of our young people going off to college and future plans. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be in a church that has that many graduating. I, I mean, you look in that paper, what do we have, 19, 17 or 19? There's a lot of, lot of graduates, so we're, we're excited to be in a church like that. Today, if you have your Bible, would you turn to Luke chapter 24? And we'll pick up reading in verse 13. We've been doing a series on changed lives. We've been looking at the people who have met Jesus after the resurrection. We started with Mary Magdalene, we, and then uh, Peter, and now today we're going to be looking on the road to Emmaus. And, uh, but I want you to think with me a little bit about those people that have made a change in your life. Maybe you can look and you say, well, I, I have met certain people and those people have made a lasting impact on my life. Whenever you, maybe you, you had a, a discussion with somebody and you walk out and say, well, there's something about that person. I can't pinpoint it, but I can tell you they made an impact on, on me and they're a memorable impact. I like what Charlie Tremendous Jones said. He said, you will be the same person in five years as you are today, except for the people you meet and the books you read. You'll be the same person five years today except for the people you meet and the books you read. So we can have an impact on other people's lives. And people have an impact on our life. But I want you to think this morning of how the impact that Jesus made on people's lives. And that is the ultimate person. Whenever you meet Jesus, he changes your life. And he makes the difference. He makes a lasting difference that will, that will last for eternity. So we're going to begin reading in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked together, of, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So the first point of our notes this morning I'd like to share with you is that sometimes, even as followers of Christ, we will face disappointment. Sometimes, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we will face disappointment. This is where the two men were. They were walking on the road to Emmaus. Uh, they had been in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the center of all the activity for, for Passover. And they, they were there for all, all the events that had happened for Jesus' death, for his burial. And now here they are on what we refer to as Easter Sunday. But for these two men, they weren't looking at it as Easter Sunday. They were looking at it as three days after their Savior had died. And they're walking away, and they are in dis, uh, disappointment. They are, they're discouraged, they're down, and they're thinking about, wow, what could have happened? What should have happened? And they're, they're facing this low moment in their life, low moment in, as, as, as their walk with God. And they had a different idea, a different expectation of what God was going to do. And isn't that true of our life today? We face expectations. We have unmet expectations. We, we think that God ought to do and work the way that we want him to work in our life. We look at our family. We, we have an expectation of how our family should be. We have an expectation of how life ought to be. And God, in the meantime, has a plan that is greater than my expectation. But when we have those unmet expectations, we, we tend to fall and our head gets down and we get discouraged. We have this disappointment. These two men were walking on the road to Emmaus. The word Emmaus means warm springs. They were, they were leaving Jerusalem where all the activity happened. They were walking away from the fellowship of believers. 
and they were on their way to a new day. They were done. It was over in their minds. And the road to Emmaus was a road of confusion. It was a road of frustration. It was a road of tears. But they hadn't pieced it all together yet. It didn't come all together. To them, Jesus was still dead. Jesus died on Friday, and it was Sunday, and they referred to, this, to, to the three days. Three days later now. Uh, they had been to Jerusalem. They knew about the, uh, about the death of Jesus. They knew about the denial of Peter. They knew about the crowd shouting, crucify him. The weeping of the disciples on the, uh, near the cross. And, and, they, and, they, and all their dreams were shattered. And so they're walking away at this time of disappointment. Remember, they were not looking for the resurrection. As we stand back and look in history, we see what God has done. 2,000 years later, we celebrate Easter on Easter. They weren't celebrating Easter yet. They were still living this out. Luke 24, 15. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so, they, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is that that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened in these days? The second point I'd like to draw your attention to in your notes is that even when we cannot see it, God is still working. Even when we cannot see it, God is still working. This had to be an exciting moment. Jesus, here, here's two of his followers. They're on the road to Emmaus. They're walking along the road, and they, he comes up and joins into the conversation. But yet they cannot see that it is Jesus. It would not be uncommon for another traveling part, part, uh, somebody else walking the road to join up with, and join company and to join in conversation. They did not know that it was Jesus. They're assuming it's just somebody else. The scriptures tell us that they were kept from recognizing that it was Jesus. Was it their own sadness that kept them from recognizing that it was Jesus? Was it their lack of faith? Did they, uh, did they, say, did they maybe say, hey, this guy kind of resembles Jesus, but no, he, he, he's, he died. Another rendering of the passage says that God kept them from recognizing that this was Jesus. So Cleopas, he answers. He answers Jesus. He says, are you, not, are you the only person in Jerusalem? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard this news? Didn't you read the Jerusalem Times? Don't you know the headlines? This Jesus, he died. He was, he was buried. This was our leader. And so he, he begins, the, this conversation begins. But I want you to remember that these men could not see that this was Jesus. They could not see that God was working in their life. But yet God was working. And God was about to show them something pretty miraculous. They weren't ready for it. They couldn't even see it. But God was beginning the work. And in your life, can you look back at a time of great pain? A time that you could say, wow, there was a moment that I just didn't see God working. The pain was so gruesome. The pain was so heavy. But yet now, today, I can look back and I can see that God was working in my life. Because God is still working, even when we're not aware of it, even when we're not looking for it, even when we're not seeing that God is at work. He is moving, just like he was with these two men. God told Jeremiah that, that he had other plans. 
He says that my plans are not your plans. My ways are not your ways. So we have the struggle between my expectations, what I want, and what God is doing. And even though these, sometimes the expectations are good expectations, God says, I have another plan for you. And I'm the one who's in charge. I am the sovereign God of the universe. I will work in your life. I will orchestrate and do what is necessary for my will in your life. Luke chapter 24, 19. And he said to them, what things? So, uh, so, so Cleopas responds to him and he says, are you the only person who haven't heard these things? And Jesus responds, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him, uh, how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him, but were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And so these men begin this discussion with Jesus. They don't recognize that it's Jesus, and the discussion begins, and they tell him, who that they think Jesus was going to be. Number three in your notes this morning, sometimes we have to be emptied in order to be filled. These men were at the bottom of the journey. They were following Christ, and the bottom was falling out for them. Look what they said their, their expectation was in, number, in verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We thought that he was going to be our king. We thought that Israel would no longer be oppressed and that this was the moment. We saw him riding in on a donkey. We saw all these things and we were hoping that this was the moment. But he died. The chief religious leaders handed him over and he died. Another rendering phrases it like this, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and of all the people. But our leading priest and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. And, they're, and they're, he's sharing with them. And their, their life... And their journey of faith was at the bottom. The bottom was falling out. And I look and I hear that phrase from time to time. Oh, you have to get to the point where you come to the end. You have to come, when that, that person has to get where the bottom falls out. And that happens quite often because that's where God has us. And when the bottom falls out, we can trust him and we look to him a whole lot more than when my cup is overflowing. When the times are going good, I often don't look for him, do we? But when the times are rough and the times are, uh, the, the bottom is shaky, we start to call on him. Oftentimes the bottom, is, I'm referring to as the bottom of self. Sometimes we have to be emptied of ourself so that God can fill us with what he wants to do in our life. Ephesians 3.20 talks about expectations. You know, we have expectations. Well, God wants to meet he wants to exceed your expectations. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask, according to his power that is at work within us. So, these men had an expectation. 
They thought the expectation wasn't met. But God was about to show them that their expectation was more than met. Their expectation was exceeded. All they could see was that we wanted him to be the king. But no, Jesus, he died. He suffered. And they were looking for the mountain of the prophecy, not the valley of the prophecy. They weren't looking for the pain. They were looking for the crowning victory. And so in your life, I want you to be able to know that you can come to God. You can pray. You can seek Him. He's called us to do that. And when you do, this is what God is trying to do. He can do more than what you're even praying. Isn't that exciting? More than what you're coming to Him. You're coming to Him and you're saying, Lord, please work in my family in this situation. And then you think all hope is lost. And five years down the road, you see that God was answering your prayer. Because He was able to do more than you could ask or think more than what you could ask or think. Verse 21, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that, he had also seen, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him, they did not see. It had been three days. The bottom was falling out of their journey. They had heard some rumors. They heard that the women came and told them that they had seen the angel, but they didn't see the body. And for, for these men, the risen Lord would be the proof. The empty tomb was nice proof, but the real proof for them was the risen Lord. And so they had said that they heard the angels they were empty, but God was about to fill them. Why does God often do the unusual? Why does God often choose a little boy like David to go out and defeat a giant? Little David comes up with his stones and five little stones he took, and he, and he throws, you know, with a slingshot and takes down a giant. That's not how we would have written history, is it? We would have chosen a different route. Uh, why would God release the children of Israel to send them down to the bank of the Red Sea? And they become in fear and wonder what's going to happen. And at just the right moment, God parts the Red Sea and his children are able to walk across. Because it is that those moments that God is seen as more powerful. It's that those moments when, that, when the bottom seems, when we seem like we're backed into the corner, God is now seen as more powerful. Verse 25, then he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He addresses them here as foolish ones, slow at heart. This was not a, a, a term of contempt. It wasn't a demeaning term. He wasn't saying, oh, you fools. He was saying the idea behind this word is, you weak ones. Your faith is weak. Oh, you weak ones, why? Why are you so slow to believe what the scriptures have said? The prophets have already told you what was going to happen. Ought not the Christ, shouldn't the Christ have suffered? It's in, the, it's in there. And so Jesus rebukes him for not knowing that what, not for not having the head knowledge, but for not having the heart knowledge. He doesn't say, you don't know. He says, you're slow to believe. These men didn't have a head problem. They had a heart problem. And it was, were they willing to trust who God was? These men were slow 
of heart. They were common, simple people. They had lost hope. They had lost joy. Um, they, had lost, they had not lost their desire. They still were loving to talk about Jesus. They wanted it, but their hearts were slow to believe because they did not believe yet the necessity of the pain of the cross. These men were well-intentioned. And yet at this point, Jesus tells them that it was not the knowledge that they lacked, but it was the heart. It was not a head issue, but it was a matter of belief. The heart was slow to believe that Jesus needed to go to the cross and that Jesus would rise. I want you to think about these two men. They're just common men. They are not men that we see, you know, we don't see Cleopas mentioned in, with a 12 hanging out. This isn't like, he was not a popular guy. Jesus made an appearance to Mary Magdalene. It wasn't, wasn't a, uh, a popular appearance. Uh, you know, it wasn't like a famous person. Uh, he made an appearance to Peter. And now, here he is. He is on the road to Damascus. Um, on the road to Emmaus, and he's spending time with them. He shares with them on the road to Emmaus. He shares that who he is. He's going to open up and share who he is. But he, he came, and he makes this appearance, and he spends time with common people. And that's, that's what Jesus did whenever the angels first came. They went over to the shepherds first. The common people were among the first. And here we go, here we see again, it's early on the, it's the third day. And Jesus is walking on the road. This was a seven mile journey. It was about a two hour walk. So Jesus is spending time with them. The next point in your notes is that time with Jesus will change your life. Time with Jesus will change your life. Jesus spends some time with these two men and, uh, and, and he helps them on their journey of faith. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. These men enjoyed the time with him. And look at what verse 27 says. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them everything in the scriptures concerning himself. He was telling them everything from the Old Testament about himself. He started with Moses. Moses wrote Genesis. So he starts with, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Why, Jesus was the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised. And he says... That was Jesus. Remember, they don't know that he's Jesus. And Jesus is explaining and, and revealing the scripture, revealing himself to them through the scripture. The blessing of Abraham to all the nations. He's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's the man who wrestled with Jacob. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Passover lamb. He's the prophet that was greater than Moses. He's the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua. He's the son of David, who was a king greater than David. He was the suffering servant in Psalm 22. He was the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Jesus is the wisdom of Proverbs. 
He's the Savior that was described in the, by the prophets and the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 describes all the great suffering that the Messiah would go through. He's the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. And so he walks him through. He takes him. Now, remember, this is a, about a two-hour journey. So isn't that interesting that Jesus is spending an extended time with these two men? And he's walking along the road, and as they're talking, they still aren't recognizing that it's him. God didn't allow them to recognize that it was him. And so they're walking there, but Jesus is taking them through the scripture, and that's what Jesus does with us. He takes us back to his word. He keeps drawing us back to his word. Sometimes there are, there are times in our life you might say, well, I feel this or I feel that. But you know what? God said we have to go back to his word. It's not about something that I thought I caught. It's about what is here. And this is where he talks to us. Jesus speaks to us through his word. Uh, so that's why I'd like to encourage you. Spend time with God. God wants you to spend time with him. Um, you know, it's, we, we give you these the reading plans and all that, and it's not about checking off that list. It's kind of fun to do that, isn't it? You check it off. Yeah, I made some progress. Yes, I read the Bible through in a year. But you know what? If you just get a few verses in every day and you start there, start somewhere. Begin to meet with God. Begin to spend the time. Because once, it, once you start to spend that time with God, you will long for more time. Because he is going to change your life. He's going to change your attitude. He's going to change your actions. He's going to give you a new outlook on life. That's what he did for these men. How about memorizing God's word? Maybe you could memorize a verse a week. Or maybe a verse a month. I know we're trying to do that with our children in the church. I, I stepped downstairs to get, get some water in between services. And I overheard the Sunday school teachers talking about, we want to encourage the children to memorize this verse. Why is that? Because this is how we spend time with God. And when we have God's word hidden in our heart, God can talk to us more. And we're able, to, we're able to hear from him all throughout the day. But they constrain him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. They enjoyed the time with Jesus. And Jesus had, had been opening their eyes. Yes. As they were walking along the road, yes, yes, that, this is starting to come together now. And the two men, these just everyday people, had an encounter with Jesus. Luke 24, 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. When Jesus blessed the bread, and he broke the bread, he gave it to them. The Bible tells us here that they recognized him. The idea behind that statement is that their eyes were completely open, and they were able to fully comprehend who he was. They saw him to be the Messiah. They saw him. Their doubts were gone at that moment. Uh, they knew that this was their Messiah, the one who would redeem Israel. But what was it that caused them to all of a sudden recognize that it was Jesus? Was it when he was praying, they remembered, wow, that sounds like Jesus now, because they remembered seeing him whenever the 5,000 were fed. And they remember the great miracle when Jesus broke the bread, blessed it, and gave it to the people. Is that what they remembered? 
Or maybe whenever he prayed, did they remember that Jesus had a meeting with the, with the twelve in the upper room, what we call the Last Supper? They had heard about that. They weren't there. These two men weren't there. But did they know about it? And did that trigger the thought when they heard him breast, bless the bread? Or was it whenever Jesus prayed over that bread? And he ripped it and he handed it to them. And they saw the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. We don't know what it was. But we do know that at that moment, God opened their eyes. And they saw that this was Jesus. And at that moment, he vanished and went on. And so look at how they respond. Number five, Jesus set their hearts on fire for the things of God. Jesus sets their hearts on fire for the things of God. Verse 32, And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with him, while, we ta while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Wasn't there this passion, this excitement that as, as, this, as Jesus was talking to us, we didn't know that it was Jesus, and he kept pointing us to the scriptures. As he was speaking to us, did our hearts not burn within us? There's an excitement that happened. And this is what happens when we spend time with Jesus. He is the one who creates the burning inside of us for him. It is him. I can't muster up this thing. It's not something, you know, sometimes we go and we see how other people are and we say, I wish I could be like them. The way to get that burning is to be with Jesus. To get that passion comes from spending time with Jesus. This is our reaction today when we encounter the risen Lord. Have we really encountered the risen Lord Jesus? He, he puts a burning passion in our hearts for him, a desire to know his word. He doesn't want us to just mentally say, yes, I agree that Jesus rose from the dead. He wants us to have that heart, not the head knowledge. That's where it begins. We want to finish it with the heart knowledge, where we come and we trust him, that he is worthy of me, of, of me trusting him for my eternal life. He is worthy of my future. He is worthy that I can trust him with all that I am. Look at the action these men took upon their burning desires, as they were burning for God, as God created this passion in them for his word and for the things of God, for Jesus. Look what they did, verse 33. So they rose up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about these things that had happened on the road and how he was no, made known to them by the breaking of bread. Today, I want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. As you are walking with Jesus, there are times that, that, it, that it gets dark out there. There are times that your faith can get shaken. But God is still working. And I... The, the key is for us to be spending this time with the risen Lord. That we're spending time with the real Jesus who really did rise from the dead. You know, if we had that bodily appearance, if we, we were able to see him in that 40 days that he was walking on the earth, you would be out there, it would be the rest of your life, you'd be knocking on doors telling everybody like these disciples did, I met a guy who rose from the dead. And you know what? That is what has happened to us. We have met the risen Lord. And as we have this encounter, we are able to walk with him. We are able to have this relationship with him. 
as we close today, I'd like to give you a few thoughts. How do I apply this? How do I take, take these things from, from the Scripture and put them into my life? First of all, if you have not yet trusted the Lord as your Savior, if you have not yet opened your heart and accepted Him, that, that He died on the cross, that He came back to life again for you, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Invite Him in. Invite Him as your Savior. Secondly, I'd like to encourage you to surrender your expectations to God. You know, I have an expectation of what I think God ought to do in my life, and so do you. But God is doing His will. So maybe you could pray something like this. Dear Lord, I have this desire for this to happen in my life. And even though it may be a good desire, it may not be your desire for my life. So God, I'm surrendering my will, my expectations of my life, to what you will do in my life. And Lord, at times I'm frustrated, at times I know that, that I really struggle, but I need you to take this. And I'm surrendering my expectations on my life to what you will do in my life. Seek God's perspective. Seek the Lord. Come and take his word. Meet with him. Get into this book. Find out who he is. Spend time with him. Make this a priority of your life. Because as you start to, to read this, you're going, to find the, you're going to find his perspective. And his perspective is much bigger than my 70 years on earth, my 80, my 90 years on earth. His perspective is a great big plan. And you are part of his great big plan. And lastly, trust God for his timing. God has a timing. God is, God is in charge. And if we can walk out of here today knowing that God is in charge... And I can relax knowing that he's in charge. This is where he can work. That's what he did for these two men. Their lives were changed. They walked along the road. They were disappointed. They met the risen Lord. And when they had this encounter with the real Jesus, the man who rose from the dead, Jesus takes them to the scripture, reveals himself, and he changed their life. They went from disappointment to people that were burning on fire for him. That's bound prayer. Your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I'd like to invite you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today's the day. Now is the time. Why wait? The Scriptures encourage us to come and, and just simply believe. You can pray a prayer something like this if that's you. You'd like to accept Him in. Just quietly in your heart to Jesus. Just pray, dear Jesus, I come before you right now. I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things in my life. But you died on that cross and you paid for my sin. I invite you to come into my life today, Lord. I need you to change my life. I need you to give me that new outlook. I need you to give me that joy. And for others in the room, maybe you're dealing with some unmet expectations or some issues in life that have been absolutely painful. But as we come before God, we can trust this great sovereign God of the universe. Maybe you could whisper a prayer to him this morning. Lord, I give you my pain. I've been carrying this and this unmet expectations been hard for me, Lord. 
I'm asking you to meet with me, Lord. I'm asking you to take my expectations and may I surrender them to you. I need your help. Help me to trust you. Father God, we thank you for all that you are. I thank you that you are the sovereign God of the universe. I thank you for how that you have given us these examples of people in your word. Their lives were changed. They were set on fire by the risen Lord. God, I pray that you help us to be set on fire by that same risen Lord today. I pray you'll be with those in here that made a decision to trust you. They, they have just invited you into their, into their life this morning, God. I pray that you'll make this the beginning and water this great seed that you planted in their heart today. For others, Lord, that are seeking you and you're dealing with them on various issues, I pray that you will carry them through these moments. Allow them to find you in wherever they're at today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. My hope is built on Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace with every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil and Christ alone 